The following audio has been brought to you by Word of Grace Community Church. For more information about Word of Grace, visit wogcc.com. I'm glad that you're here today. We're going to continue in our series, Death to Selfie. And the title of my message this week, if you're a note taker, and I hope that you are, is Sufficient. You can write that title down, Sufficient. Last week, we said, God help me see that it's not about me. And we prayed that, and I hope that that's helped you this week as you have most definitely encountered situations where selfishness would want to flare up, and you're able to recognize it because we don't always see selfishness. It's one of those things that can sometimes be difficult to see. But when you do see it, you stop and you're able to go, God, help me see that this isn't about me. And we talked about three questions that would help us to grow uh, either when we have messed up when we have actually, you know, been selfish or perhaps when we're trying to grow and uh, deterring, uh, actually acting on that selfishness. And those three questions were, uh, how would Christ respond? What can I learn? And what can I mend? And my desire through this series is that we all learn how to live a God-first life in a me-first world. Because that's really what we're trying to accomplish and grow in is how do we actually live this stuff instead of just acknowledge that we know it's true. Because we all know that we're supposed to put God first in our lives. We all can agree to that and we can all say, yes, amen, put God first. If I were to ask any good God-fearing church attending Christian, what is the first thing in your life that's most important? You would by default give the Sunday school answer of God's number one, God's most important. But does our lifestyle reflect that? Does our lifestyle and our choices show that God truly is at the center, that God is really our first priority? And so dying to ourself is one of those things that is not easy. It's not comfortable. And when we talk about it, it helps us to actually see things that perhaps we weren't seeing before and to be confronted with things that we may not want to deal with. We would just let those things just kind of lie or, or just sweep those things under the rug because I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to be confronted with this portion of myself. I don't want to consider myself selfish. I want to think that I'm a pretty good person and I do a pretty good job of not being selfish. But really, when we see ourselves for how we truly are, man, making that, that, that decision daily, as Scripture says, to die to ourselves and to crucify that flesh, it's not easy. And Jesus never promised that it would be easy. Jesus didn't say, hey, come follow me. It's going to be super easy. It's going to be super fun. Not going to be any problems at all. Just jump on the Jesus train and we're going to go to happy land. That's not what Jesus said. He said to take up your cross, which means that this is your cross, your caring. Why? Because something's going to die. And that's us dying to ourselves. He said, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Over and over again in Scripture, we see Jesus confronting different people with the cost of following Him. This is what it costs to follow Jesus. This is what it costs to be a follower of Christ. It's living for Him, trusting Him, denying ourselves, denying our way, and saying, I'm going to submit to your way, Jesus, because I trust that you know better for me than I know for myself, that you want better for me than I want for myself. Denying yourself, taking up your cross is not comfortable, but that's the cost. And listen, folks, Jesus is sufficient. That means that following Him is worth it. It means that following Him, taking up your cross and denying yourself, dying to yourself, 
and not letting selfishness rule in your heart and in your mind and in your life, that it is worth it because Jesus is enough. If you have your Bible this morning, go over to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to look at Colossians 1 this morning. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Colossians chapter 1. And this is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Colossae. He says this in Colossians 1. We'll pick it up at verse 15. He says this about Jesus. He says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. Verse 21, And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, He has now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. You see, Paul is trying to communicate from just this place of passion and conviction that Jesus is better than anything else. And he's wanting to to shout it as loud as he can through these words. And I believe that he's still shouting today through these words saying, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That there's nothing better than Jesus. He said he's preeminent. That means that Jesus is before all things. He's above all things. There's nothing else better than Jesus. He is preeminent. He's the greatest. There's nothing lacking in Christ. And if we have Christ, then we have everything we need. If we have Christ, He truly is sufficient. He's not lacking in and of Himself. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Now, to deny yourself and to follow Jesus means you believe this. To deny yourself and follow Jesus means you believe that Jesus is better than anything else or anyone else. But I think the struggle comes in denying ourselves when we're not convinced that Christ is better when we're not convinced that He is what we need because we end up chasing after other things to fill some type of space in our lives that we feel there's a deficiency there. We chase after money. We chase after popularity and acceptance. We chase after uh, all sorts of relationships and things that we feel that will help us to become whole, to find meaning in life, to find purpose, to find satisfaction, to find joy, to find contentment. And we chase after all of these other things in order to find something that you can only get from Christ because Christ is lacking nothing. And if we believe that, listen to me, church, if we believe that Christ is sufficient and He's all that we need, then we can truly 
be able to deny ourselves and to follow Him because we believe He's worth it. We believe following Jesus is worth it. And it's not just about what I get out of the deal because we always focus on ourselves. We always want to put ourselves in the driver's seat. We always want to see what's in it for me before I make this choice because every choice that we make is truly an exchange, right? We're, we're giving something up for something else, whether it's our time, whether it's our money, whether it's an inconvenience of some sort. We're exchanging something when we make a choice. And if we believe Christ is worth it, then the choice becomes easier to deny myself because I know that there's nothing lacking in Him. And I know He has everything, and He is everything because He's preeminent. He's before all things. He's above all things. And our lives should be lived out of, out of a conviction that Jesus is enough. You know, even in our modern-day evangelical Christianity, Christ can become an afterthought. Christ can become an afterthought in our modern-day evangelical Christianity because people want to seek deeper mysteries. They want to seek more intense experiences, or they want to seek after things that make them feel like they're smarter or better followers of Jesus because of what they know or because of the, the acquisition of knowledge that they have uh, attained, and they feel that they're somehow superior or somehow, you know, Christian 2.0 because they, they, they know so much more than other people. But let me tell you something. In Colossians chapter 1 and verse 25, the Apostle Paul addresses this very thought pattern. He addresses this idea of Christ being enough because he talks about the sufficiency of the gospel. In Colossians 1 and 25, Paul says this, I became its servant by the commission God gave me to fully proclaim to you the Word of God, the mystery that was hidden for the ages and generations. But now it's revealed to His saints, to whom God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery which is in you, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He said, listen, Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is the mystery revealed. This is it. This is the acquisition of the knowledge that you have been seeking, that the, the things that you, you, you are looking for, the hope of the world. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, don't misunderstand me. We should search the Scriptures to know God more, but everything that we search more to, to know more of should show and point us to Jesus more. Oh, don't shout me down when I'm preaching good this morning. Everything that we acquire should point us to Jesus. It should stir a deeper passion for Jesus, a deeper conviction for Christ because He truly is enough. And if it's not pointing me to Jesus, then it's just puffing up my flesh. It's just making me feel like I have somehow edged out the competition and I, I somehow have put myself in a position of being superior to other people. Instead of it pointing me to Jesus, if it's not pointing you to Jesus, you need to check yourself before you wreck yourself. Right? If it's not pointing you to Jesus, what's the point? If it's not strengthening the, the depth of my conviction of Christ in me, the hope of glory, because from that conviction, I am then positioned and enabled to make the decision to deny myself, to live for something greater than my own pleasure that only lasts for just a moment. 
I can then make decisions that may have previously been difficult to make and and may even still yet be difficult to make because I'm still warring with that flesh. But the deeper my conviction, the easier it is to make the decision that will honor God in any given circumstance because my values are driven by Christ being enough, not by me having something I don't yet have in order to somehow be satisfied because Christ is all-sufficient. For us to deny ourselves, we have to believe this. We have to believe that Jesus is better, otherwise we think we can find answers and solutions on our own. And that's just the truth, that we have to believe Jesus is better. Otherwise, we feel more empowered to find solutions in and of ourselves. What God asks you to do takes more than you. What God asks you to do takes more than you. From creation, God made things work this way. From the very first people on the planet, God made things work this way. God put into place a system where we would have to trust Him and we would have to depend on Him and trust that He knows what is best for us and He gave us that option in giving mankind a choice. Because in the Garden of Eden, there was a tree, a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God told Adam, he said, any of these other trees in the garden, you are free to eat from. But don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. There's going to be a death, there's going to be a separation between you and me. And he gave man a choice because man in that moment had a choice, a decision to make. Am I going to trust that what God says is true? Am I going to trust that what God wants me to do and does not want me to do is truly best for me? Or am I going to go, maybe He's holding out on me? And that's exactly the lie that came to Eve in the garden. He came as a serpent. He began to lie to her and say, you're not going to surely die. As a matter of fact, God's holding out on you because the day you eat of it, God knows that you're actually going to become like God. You're going to know good from evil. You're going you're to actually become God-like. And the temptation in the Garden of Eden was self-reliance that required no more trusting in what God said was best and what God had put in place as right, but instead I want to make up my own definition of what right and wrong is. I want to decide for myself. I want to put myself in a position to be God. And that was the temptation, and they took the bait. And they ate the fruit because it sounded better to Adam and Eve to decide for themselves what truth was rather than to trust what God had already established. If they would have just trusted in what God had already established, that He was good, that He knew better than they did, and that He had their best interest in mind, and that His way was better than their way, then they would not have experienced that separation. They would not have experienced the things that they experienced, but yet we see in our day and age we're still faced with the same choice. That God says, here's my way, trust me. I'm asking you to do something that requires more than you. It requires a dependence and a trust on me, is what He's trying to communicate to us. That there are things He has definitely made us responsible for, there are things that He wants us to do, But then there are things that God is asking us specifically to do that requires more than our own strength, 
requires more than our own self-discipline, requires more than our own strength and ability to carry out. And that's exactly what dying to self is. It requires something more than just you. It requires a dependence on God. We have a choice still of independence from God that leads ultimately to death. It leads to pain. It leads to self-sufficiency. It leads to selfish living. It leads us to believing the lie that we only need God some of the time. You know, when things get really bad. That's when we need God, right? When we get the diagnosis that, you know, the doctor says they can't cure or fix, well, then we run to God because we had it, we were good, but now we need God. What we don't realize is that we never stopped needing God. You see, you never get to a place in your walk with the Lord where you stop needing Jesus. You never get to a place where you say, I got it from here, but too often, that's how we live our lives, where we will, we will ask God to move in a circumstance, and, and let's say He does move in that circumstance or that situation, and He does that thing that we were hoping, and He does above anything we could have asked or thinking it blows our mind, and we're so grateful, and then we get in this self-reliance mode after that, and then all of a sudden, it just becomes what we can do. I was so heavy dependent on God during this crisis, but now, ah, I kind of got this from here, and God's like, no, and then we find ourselves right back in another crisis. How did we get here? How do you think we got here? The same place we, same way we got there in the first place. We took our dependence and our eyes off of, off of God and put them on ourselves. And we said, I got this, God. I got it from here. I'm, I'm, I'm good. But what God is asking us to do, dying to that flesh daily, it takes more than just us. We will amen a sermon that would say we need God all the time, you know. God is good, church, all the time. Yes, and all the time. Oh, God, God is good. We have our little Christianisms and our churchisms and all these things. And we say those things and we amen those things. And we'll amen a, a, a sermon that would say, nothing is better than Jesus. And, and everyone will shout at the top of their lungs, amen, just like we do here. And that was a joke. I get it. Sometimes we do. But do we live like it? We can shout it from the rooftops. We can know all the right things to say. We can know the Sunday school answers. But listen, living it and believing it are two different things. I can have a whole lot of head knowledge and I can speak from the head a lot, but it's truly in my beliefs. That's where my behaviors come from. It's from my beliefs. I mean my core beliefs, not the things I say I believe. All right, let's not get the two mixed up because we can say we believe a lot of things, but what we actually live out are the things we really believe whether it's the way you see yourself, whether, the, whether it's the way that we uh, allow ourselves to, to be uh, growing in Christ-likeness or, or whatever the case may be, that it really comes down to this core belief, this core belief. Do we really believe that Christ is sufficient? We would say on paper we believe that. We would say it on paper, but does our life actually reflect that? Because if I believe Christ is sufficient, then it puts me in a position to be able to deny myself when that flesh would want to rise up and that, that selfishness would want to rise up. It puts me in a lot better position to recognize it and deny my flesh because I really believe that, because I really believe Christ is enough. And even though the, the flesh is still very present, it wants, to, it wants to make itself known and it wants to drag me back into my old habits and my old patterns and my, own, my old thought patterns, I'm now a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. I, I'm now being renewed in my mind, and, and I'm beginning to think differently according to the patterns that Christ would have me think, not in the way self wanted me to think. 
But it's very tempting to go back to the old pattern because it's just easy, right? Just like when maybe you've moved to a different town and, and you were really comfortable with the old town and you knew all the streets and you knew all the roads and then you go back and, and there's this kind of sense of comfort and nostalgia traveling those old paths. Your flesh is the same way. Man, when you do something new and you walk away from that flesh and you're wanting to die to flesh and you're wanting to live to Christ, man, going back to that old town and those old patterns and those old streets and those old memories, sometimes it can be a little nostalgic and we get suckered back into those patterns and those habits. But here's the deal, folks. We really have to make sure that we are growing in our conviction that Christ is sufficient, that He is enough. Suppressing the flesh is not the same as crucifying the flesh. We were not told in Scripture to suppress the flesh. We were told to die to it. Just like being Patient is not the same as tolerance. Some people think they're being extremely patient. They're just really stuffing it <laughs> and being extremely tolerant, or maybe they're just being extremely passive-aggressive. And they're not really being patient, but they have a version of what they consider patience. Oh, so-and-so is so patient. No, they just really can put up with a lot of junk. But they're really angry inside. There's a difference. There's a difference because there's something going on beyond what you or me may see that's at the heart level, that's being dealt with, that, that you don't even know that's going on. And listen, tolerance and, and, and suppressing the flesh, it's not the same thing as crucifying the flesh, because crucifying the flesh takes God. Suppressing the flesh takes you. And you can suppress the flesh all you want to, and you can try, and you, and, and, and you can feel successful in suppressing the flesh, but it's kind of like when you do laundry and you keep stuffing that same drawer full of clothes and you're thinking, yeah, I can get five more shirts in here. And you keep stuffing it and stuffing it, and then you, you can't close it. It's not working right. And, 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 and you got stuff sticking out of there, and you thought you could stuff a little more. And you, that's how it is when you try to stuff the flesh. You try to suppress the flesh. It's like going to the buffet, and you think, I can make one more trip. That's called regret. <laughs> and you suppress, and you suppress, and you, you push, and you push, and it gets exhausting, doesn't it? That's exactly what trying to do this on your own does. Wears you out because it requires God. It takes more than you. It takes God. It takes dependence on Him. It takes a belief, a core belief that He is good regardless of what my circumstances tell me. It is a conviction that would say He is good no matter what lies that I'm being fed and being told that really having this much money in my bank account is going to make me happy. Or telling me that I just need that substance, or I just need that relationship, or I just need another glance at that website. I'll just do it one more time. I, I need this. I'm justified in this. What God asks you to do takes more than you. What God asks us to do takes Him in our lives, and if it was something we could do on our own, He wouldn't get glory for that. If it was something that we could manage in our own strength, then we get the glory, and we get to go, look at me, look at how good I am, look at how disciplined I am, look at how strong I am. But here's the thing, when we deny ourselves, crucify the flesh, live a God-first life in a me-first world, we believe 
And we're convicted that Christ is enough, that He's preeminent, that nothing's better than Jesus, that nothing is worth pursuing in life more than Christ. And that takes crucifying the flesh daily. Crucifying the flesh is a conviction that trusts that Christ is sufficient. So when you're faced with temptation to give into the flesh, when the mirror is held up, when you, when you see your selfishness, when you, when you want to drift into selfishness, when you want to drift into self-reliance, you need to stop and ask yourself, is Christ sufficient? Is He enough in this moment? Because there's going to be moments that are going to come your way. And you may be facing a crisis right now where you're tempted to trust in other things. You're nervous right now because something's out of place in your world. You're uncomfortable or perhaps you're worried or anxious or angry because someone isn't doing something you think they should be doing. And you can't control it. You've tried. You've tried to control it. You've tried to get that person to change. You've tried to get that spouse to change. You've tried to get those kids to change. You've tried to get that your boss to change. You've tried to get that coworker to change. You've, you've tried to get those people to do what you want them to do and you've just had it. In that moment, is Christ enough? In that moment when your back is against the wall and the enemy is whispering in your ear to turn to something else for comfort, is Christ enough? Is He your comfort? Is He your peace? Is He all-sufficient? Is He more than enough? You can amen it, but if you believe it, then you will walk with a conviction that says, I know that I know that I know Christ is enough. I may not feel it right now. This may be uncomfortable. This may not be the ideal circumstance, and I would rather have things in life a different way. And that may very well be true. But in that moment, is Christ enough? The answer is yes. The answer is yes. Christ is enough. So whose issue is it then? Is it Christ's issue to where when we're going through a struggle, all of a sudden Christ is lacking something? No. It's not that Christ all of a sudden becomes deficient in our struggles. It's there's something required of us. And that something required of us is called faith and trust that He's good, that we believe He's good all the time, that we believe He's sufficient that we're able to crucify that flesh instead of reacting the way we reacted when someone inflicts pain on us, when someone disappoints us, when someone offends us, when someone does something that, 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 that's just unthinkable that would hurt us and we can't believe they would do that. Instead of justifying your reaction, you stop and you say, God, help me see that it's not about me. Help me to see it, Lord. How would Christ respond? That's not the way my flesh wants me to respond. That's not where my flesh wants to go. But it's where Christ wants me to go. 2 Corinthians 12, 19, But He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power, He said, For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So it doesn't become about, oh man, look at so-and-so, he's so disciplined. Look at so-and-so, how strong he or she is. It becomes, wow, how are they doing that? How are they able to live life being so peaceful, so content, 
when they're going through this circumstance or that circumstance? How are they able to smile? Because I know what's going on in their life. How are they able to look so rested and so at peace? Is Christ in me the hope of glory? Is Christ in me the hope of glory? Death to self, denying yourself, comes from a conviction that Jesus is better than whatever you're seeking. What are you seeking? Is Christ better? Is Christ better than you getting your way? Is Christ better than everyone doing what you think they should do? Is Christ sufficient in the things you can't control? Is Christ sufficient when you want to go down that familiar path of reacting in anger? Is Christ sufficient when you get disappointed, when you get hurt? Is Christ sufficient when you don't want to forgive that person? Is Christ sufficient when you don't want to do the God-honoring thing? Is Christ sufficient in the addiction? Is Christ sufficient in the loneliness? Is Christ better than those things? Is He more than enough? What he's asking you to do, to deny yourself, to crucify your flesh, to die to selfishness, takes more than your own strength and your own willpower. It takes faith. It takes believing that Christ is better. You can take this world, like the old hymn says, you can take the world and give me Jesus. That's how people in third world countries that are being persecuted for their faith and people that are imprisoned right now all over the world simply for professing faith in Christ can still find joy and peace in the middle of their circumstance. Is that an ideal circumstance? No. It's not ideal, but somehow Christ becomes sufficient. He becomes more than enough. Matter of fact, the most misused verse in all of Scripture, I believe, is Philippians 4 and 13, where the Apostle Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I believe that's one of the most misunderstood verses in all of Scripture. Before we go today, I want to read this to you. Philippians 4 and 13. Let's read verse 10. Let's back up so we look at it in context. Thank you. Philippians 4 and 10 says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have received, you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking because I'm in need, because I have learned in whatever situation that I'm in to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any event, in any circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and facing hunger, of abundance and need, and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In other words, he's saying it's not because I'm such a great guy that I was able to be imprisoned and beaten and flogged and still be content and still find joy in Christ. No, no, it, it wasn't because I'm so strong and so good, but it's rather Christ in me. The mystery revealed, Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is sufficient. He is preeminent. He is more than enough. I want you to walk away today from this place believing that a little more than you did when you walked in. That's my goal today. It's for you to walk out of this place a little bit more convicted than you were when you walked in that Christ is enough. Because I know some of you, you, you may believe Christ is enough, but there's going to be a circumstance that's going to try to come your way to get you to trust in yourself. There's a struggle that, that, the, that the enemy has in store for you that he wants to trip you up with this, this surprise uh, 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 habit or this newfound thing that he's toying or dangling in front of you saying this is what you really need. Whether it's the promotion, whether it's I just need a new spouse, whether it's I need new kids, Whether, whatever it may be, we think new is the answer. Or maybe there's something familiar that we always tend to get drawn back towards. 
I want you to walk out of this place today believing at your core, not just up here, but in here. Not just up here in your head, but here in your core. A core belief strengthened a little bit. You work in that faith muscle a little bit. Strengthening that faith muscle a little bit more today because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And you've heard the Word of God today and my prayer and my hope and my desire is that your faith has been strengthened. That when the enemy comes in like a flood that the Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him and that standard is Jesus. And that Jesus becomes more than enough in that moment. When selfishness would want to rise up and you would want to be snappy to your wife and you would want to react out of anger or when you would want to be selfish or when you would want to go isolate out of depression, that Christ would become more than enough for you in those circumstances. And He would begin to work in your heart to reflect Him to the world. Lord, I thank You for this day. I thank You for this opportunity to share this word with our church family. I pray that You would help us to lean into you, Jesus, to be dependent on you, Jesus, to deepen our trust that you are more than enough, that you are hope for the hopeless, that you are enough. Strengthen that in us today. Strengthen our resolve. And for those who may be currently facing a circumstance that may be so overwhelming, Lord, that they feel already defeated and they don't know where to turn. I pray today that hope is kindled through the message of the gospel that would say, though we were sinners, that Christ, you died for us. The message that would say that it's not because of anything we've done, but rather it's in spite of us. Because all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but Jesus gave his life as ransom for all. And I pray that that becomes enough I pray that that hope is stirred today. I pray that that fire, that passion is stirred today. I pray, Lord, that you strengthen our faith today. Pray we walk out of here stronger than before. Dying to ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Word of Grace. For more sermons or any other information, visit wogcc.com.